0: It's time for counterculture. Are you tired of how divided we are? Let's find the peacemakers. Think everyone is mean and selfish? Let's talk to those who are helping us all be more loving and caring. Think our culture is going downhill? Let's meet those who are helping us flourish. And now your host, Jonathan Sanborn. And hello again. Thank you so much for tuning in to Counterculture. Yes, I am Jonathan Sanborn. I love my job. I mean, I love I love this show. I love the chance that I get to do to get to talk to to people who are countercultural, who have uh, decided to give their lives to something bigger. They're they've chosen to be peacemakers, uh, bridge builders, and uh, culture builders. In 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 a in a, in a world that seems to want to divide and tear things down, we want to find those who are building things up and i have the privilege of having on the phone for the, the. you're actually this is a first we've 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 never done this before we actually we've had many well traveled people but we've actually calling from uh, across the border in Nogales, mexico please welcome joanna williams joanna
1: thank you so much for welcoming me here
0: oh it's so um, glad yeah. So thank you for calling in. And am so glad you could. Uh, I, I always prefer it in studio, but I want you to, you're, you sound like you need to be exactly where you need to be. Uh, Joanna, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Joanna is the executive director of the Kino Border Initiative. Before joining, she accompanied migrants in a variety of capacities through uh, including Fulbright Research and the reintegration and of returned and deported migrants in the Mexic- in, from Mexico, uh, and she worked at the, um, the ACLU's Arizona Border Rights Program. She, whoa, summa cum laude graduate from Georgetown University School of Foreign Foreign Service with a Bachelor of Science in International Culture and Politics, and has a Master's in Public Policy from ASU. Of also fellow Sun Devil, Joanna. This is <laughs> a, a great. So we're going to have. I think we've got a great. Before we get into this great topic and we'll we'll get to learn about the Kino Border Initiative and maybe helping us to expand our thinking on uh, immigration and our response, we like to get to know you first. I mean, yes, I introduced you, but we like to play this game called fake news. So in fake news, you say something that's true about yourself and something that's not true, and I try to guess what it is. So go for it.
1: Sounds good. Well the all of the most interesting things of life never make it into the bio, right?
0: Right. So exactly. I, exactly.
1: This is this is exactly why why this is a great way to start. Um so what's part of what's not in my bio is I'm in, from Denver, Colorado.
0: From Denver, so that's not, okay.
1: One, that, that's not one of the facts. Oh that's not. Okay. Facts. A <laughs> um, of, that is, yeah. That, that that's a that's a truth. Um, right. <laughs> so so two observations on my growing up. Um I was actually a sailing instructor. That was my high school summer job. Okay. That I taught kids how to sail and I raced sailboats.
2: Okay. Um,
1: and I also, in Denver, as you know, there's mountains there. Well, there's mountains that are called 14ers that are over 14,000 feet. And so I have climbed all 58 of the Colorado 14ers.
0: Wow. So interesting. So you were either sailing, which oddly would throw a person. Because from being in Denver, it's like, what was she doing in the summer sailing? But that's still plausible. But but all the 14ers, they're 58, you call them 14ers? 14ers,
1: correct.
0: Wow, and you've hiked them all.
1: I even have the t-shirts. You the even
0: bottle. have the t-shirts. So I'm going to say the sailing is fake news because either one of them will work, but I'm just going to go, I feel on sailing is fake.
1: I, I don't think you should have gotten what you got there. Nope. <laughs> My gut?
0: Maybe. <laughs> Maybe that protein shake didn't really sit in my gut very well.
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, I, I, in fact, was a sailing instructor. Um, I went to Georgetown because I was going to join the sailing team. Really? And then I really took a different path, and and here I am in the desert, my sailboat's still in my parents' garage.
0: Oh, it's still gathering dust. And what about all those 14ers? Are they gathering dust?
1: They are. I had the goal of hiking all fifty-eight fourteeners, and I only made it up I think five of them. Over so, five.
0: Wow. Yeah, that's a long that's a commitment. That's a lot of work <laughs> to do all that. <laughs> well, again, <laughs> I, I have now.
1: I too busy here at the <laughs>
0: I've heard it said people view think of themselves as good judges of human nature. I have now empirical evidence that I am not a good judge of human nature in in a year of doing this show I'm probably about 50% I'm a, I'm a coin toss here so <laughs> not beating guns no exactly so but I love hearing it because you know I love hearing that so uh, maybe it's those fellow sailors I also I love scuba diving and I I barely had the chance to go and it's my dream of doing lots of scuba diving but here I am in Arizona of all places but hey um so, of your personal journey, besides sailing and mountain climbing, which is awesome, what makes you care about immigration? Is there something so in your background or something?
1: To, yeah, it's, it's also related to my growing up in in Denver. I went to public school, and uh, when I was in middle school and high school, just got to know my fellow classmates. Who some of them, their parents had come from Mexico or. Some of them I le- later learned were undocumented, and I I didn't really couldn't really make sense of it at the time um, because I didn't know all of these words and vocabulary about the immigration system. Right, it was just oh, this is my friend Cindy, and for some reason her family eats later in the day than mine does, and always has tortillas at the table. Right, um, but that was really my experience, is, is an experience of community an experience of friendship uh with with my classmates and then later on with refugees in, in Denver. Uh, there's a lot of refugee communities that are resettled there and every Sunday or every Saturday morning I would go to an apartment building and teach ESL to the refugee women and talk about a face filled experience. That was there was just that that felt like a very holy place to me. Yeah. Of of coming alongside, being together in community, um, growing in, in love as one of the refugees from Iraq put <laughs> And so that was, those were the seeds that then later on grew in me as I decided to, I thought I went off to Georgetown thinking I was going to go save the world. Right, sure. Uh, I like many, many, yeah. many Georgetown freshmen do.
2: Yes. <laughs>
1: and, and instead the, the the invitation that God gave me is how can I just continue this journey of humble accompaniment, of being in community with folks, of being uh, na- good neighbors. I was with a, a ministry there that they Their mission was to love our neighbors as ourselves. Mm -hmm. Um, So that journey has continued to lead me until all of a sudden it led me to the U.S.-Mexico border a decade ago.
0: And so first off, loving your neighbor doesn't just mean people who look like you and come from your own country, right? So so you clearly have lived that out and uh, working with— refugees. I also worked with international students and some refugee work here in Phoenix and and I so val they they're so welcoming to they want they're used to community and they want to learn about our many most want to learn and get engaged in the culture and we often don't they don't know how to connect with other Americans, other families, other even, even meet a Christian, you know, this might be their best shot.
1: Yeah, and it's it's exactly it's it's not even me loving my neighbors but also allowing myself to be loved. Yeah. <laughs> I think about a, a friend here in, in Tucson who's from Honduras and she worked in the uh hotel for I don't know, a couple of years. She got employee of the month and they got a free stay in a hotel up in Flagstaff and she gave it to me for my birthday mm. and, and my husband said, Well, we can't accept this. You know, she has we're so much better off economically than <laughs> Than she is, she should be the one going and taking this hotel stay. Right. And I said, well, part of this journey is learning to receive love and receive hospitality. Yeah. And that certainly has been my experience as as I've accompanied folks who are in in a situation of migration.
0: That's a fantastic observation. And I think (laughs) there's so much truth in that. It's not only when we love and choose to step out to help others, we often realize we have so much to learn. I've so many amazing families and hospitality. Um, I I was I visited a a wedding uh, in India, and they welcomed me in as this honored guest. And I'm like, would if an Indian came to a wedding here in America, what would they be welcomed in in the same way as such a as yeah. you know privilege as as that was? And so it was. Yeah, so you you bring up a great point. So you really have a, a, a background with w- welcoming people and having that heart, that uh, an open-hearted and open-handed and, in a sense, open life <laughs> to people from other cultures, and that's seemingly set you up for what you're doing now. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, that's been that's the, the journey that I've been learning, and I'd say continue to learn uh, how, how to love well and how to receive love well, even now in this work that I do at the U.S.-Mexico border with, with migrants who are stranded on the Mexico.
0: So now uh, now more in the sense of Kino Border. First off, what is Kino Border Initiative?
1: Sure. So we're a binational organization. That, that's also really important to us. So we actually exist as a legal entity on both sides of the border. Mm. Um, and we, think we have to figure out how to live out our binationality within before we go telling somebody else, oh, you should have solidarity across borders. We right. need to know how do we work together as U.S. and Mexican staff. Um, and our mission is to respond to the realities of migrants in Nogales, Mexico. So we do that through humanitarian assistance. So just before I came onto this call, I was just talking to our cook who served 300 meals this morning already wow. uh, here in Mexico. Um, and clothing, medical assistance, and then we also do education and advocacy. We really want to to create more hospitable communities on the U.S. side, but also on the Mexican side here, especially here in Nogales, Mexico.
0: So give me a picture of what you just saw this morning. That's fantastic. Right now, 300 people had breakfast on the border what what is their situation
1: so we have folks who are in a, a variety of situations um, we're receiving some people the majority of the people that we receive were just sent back from the United States mm. um, so many of them were detained in the desert uh, many of them have Ben, I mean, you, Phoenix, even more so than Nogales, you know, the heat of today. Right. Um, people have been out there for a few days in 100-degree in days uh, and were detained by Border Patrol, and then they were sent immediately back to Nogales, Mexico. Um, and right now, the this isn't just Mexicans who are being sent back to Nogales, Mexico, but it's also um, people from Guatemala or Honduras or El Salvador, mm. or anybody from, from any of these uh, nearby countries. They're all just being stranded in Nogales. Um, so I was, I was speaking. Also, the, this morning there was a young man from Guatemala who arrived. to who, uh, He's from an indigenous community, so he doesn't actually speak Spanish. Spanish isn't his first language, and it's not his strongest hmm. language. Right. But he had fled. He, he was just a a farm worker there, and he was still being extorted by the gangs. Uh, one of my staff people said, "I just doesn't. I can't think of why are gangs going after someone that doesn't doesn't have money in the first place." Um, wow. But he'd been detained and then he just sent, was sent back here. So he doesn't have any ID, he, he doesn't have any legal status here in Mexico. Uh, so we're really meeting people at this moment where they feel most stranded. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes it's, quite frankly, the worst day of their lives Sure when they first arrived here. Um, and then we have other folks who have stayed because they've, they've been stranded, then they've stayed a little bit longer and, and integrated into the city a little more, but they're still it's, it's a different kind of being stranded than the first day of arrival, but it's still months and months of kids being out of school, um, right. trying to, to piece together enough money for the rent. Um, but those are kind of the two populations we're receiving. Those people who are immediately arriving at the border who are just sent back from, from the U.S. and then other people who have stayed there here for a little bit longer.
0: So you mentioned that's that's fa- fascinating. So you mentioned this this guy from Guatemala. He's actually fleeing for his life. And that that we I don't that, we often don't understand that in America, but that that does happen in many parts of the world if you t- if you don't pay the bribe or you don't do something that's been asked of you illegally or you have to you, you're you they could threaten you and your whole family. And uh so they so that's one story. Is that is that fairly normal across the the group that's right on the border right now?
1: There's a, there are a number of people who are fleeing because of violence. And I, I think what you're you're right to say that oftentimes in, in the U.S. it's hard for us to wrap our mind <laughs> around what this looks like. It's it's the problem is the violence, but the problem is also that there's not an institution of the police and the court system and. <laughs> And other systems, so that when there is violence or there are threats, there could be consequences. Right. And there um, could be justice. <laughs> right. So there, I'm thinking about another woman here who's fleeing domestic violence, who's filed so many police reports against her abuser, and still there's no court action because he just is more powerful in society. Um, right. But we're not only seeing people who are fleeing violence. We're also seeing a lot of folks who've been affected um, by climate change, and specifically the hurricanes in the fall. Uh, mm. That seemed to really be a breaking point for many individuals, especially in the country of Guatemala. Uh, there was, I remember this one man who just came recently. He was relatively well off. He worked as a welder um, in Guatemala, so he had his welding shop, and that was how he was making money. And then this hurricane came, and it destroyed his shop. It destroyed part of his home. And he said, I just, I don't see a future for myself here. Mm. Um, Catholic Relief Service did a really interesting study. They just released it a couple of days ago. They say, the, what they pointed out is we always ask the question of why are people leaving their countries, but we actually should be asking the question of why people are staying. Right. Um, and one of the big reasons that people stay is because they see a future for themselves. Right. Uh, because they have hope. and And we receive folks when they just, they say, I've already spent 20 years building up this welding shop and in twenty minutes, it was
0: destroyed. Uh, what's the point of going on? Yeah, yeah. And that's so powerful. And, and it, this isn't this isn't a an issue. This is a human being made in God's image, who is would and if we were in their shoes, we would probably be doing the exact same thing. And I think, and that's why I would love to hear your story. You, you're humanizing an issue. You're putting a face to this, and. What is what is something that we often get wrong? I mean, I'm I'm speculating that on that, but I, but what do you think from your perspective, what is something we often get wrong about this?
1: Well I think the part of it is what you <laughs> what you just corrected, which is we oftentimes see folks at the border migrants who are they're either heroes or they're villains. Uh yeah. and, and I actually disagree with either of those interpretations. I think people are complicated. We're we're made in the image of God. We're in we're in a, a world that's also full of sin. <laughs> Yes. And um, people are trying to do the best they can for their families. Um, so people don't, one what, what, what of the things that people get wrong is that they oversimplify. Yeah. Um, you know, whether, whether you're on the left or the right, they oversimplify what's happening here at the border. Right. Um, and the other piece is, I think there's, and I don't know, I've always tried to track down where this mentality comes from, but it seems that people always think we're on the ber- verge of running out <laughs> Of, of resources or of opportunities right um, that there's that there's a pie, and if we give away one more slice of the pie uh then there won't be any more for us right than actually we're a bakery right, and, and we have the opportunity to to get more people involved in the baking process right
0: <laughs> that's a good observation we do have that we it's a scarcity a, a scarcity mentality and it and it's not really a kingdom mentality of the idea that there's abundance and there's I mean, there's just because there's more people doesn't mean – than there were 100 years ago doesn't mean there's less jobs than there were 100 years ago. You know, we – capacity grows. People grow, – you know, societies grow. People innovate. Things are – you know, things change and we don't live in a fixed system, a, a closed system. We live in an open system, especially if we yeah. believe in God and creativity. So I think you – that's was, a – Go ahead.
1: I was just going to say I am. Um, I'm thinking about a pastor I was speaking with in Southern Arizona. Uh, it was a couple of years ago when there were a lot of asylum seekers arriving at that time too, and including in the Phoenix community. And this this church had was really involved in welcoming the families and had actually sponsored this family of I think ten people from Honduras. Mm. But the the comment he made to me, he said, "Yeah, lo- love is hard. Yeah. <laughs> love is sacrificial, and then and then it's so abundant. Yes, <laughs> you do have to sacrifice. And it does have to be hard." And then God gives more, and yeah. we have enough.
0: <laughs> yeah. You don't have 20 love points to spend in a day, <laughs> and then you at the end of the year, after exactly. 20, you're done. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. God exp- expands your capacity. If you're just tuning in, I have on, on, online on the phone with me with Joanna Williams calling from Nogales, Mexico, and uh, her, she's the executive director of the Kino Border Initiative, helping us really put a face and a humanity to what we often put into the category of an issue, and I really appreciate this conversation. So now, on art, look at here we are in Arizona, and I want to talk about the capacity to welcome you. We talked just a little bit about the ideology of it. What are, what's what's good and what needs to change in Arizona?
1: Well, I'm amazed. It seems like every day by just this grassroots response in, in Arizona, uh, especially right now, we have. The border's been closed for over a year and a half, and just now we're starting to see some exceptions to that. So some people who are fleeing violence are now getting the opportunity to to access protection in the U.S. Mm-hmm. And communities in Phoenix have mobilized <laughs> to receive people, You know, whether that's at churches or the welcome center or let's go to the bus station or whatever kinds of resources are needed there, the same thing in Tucson, also more recently in Nogale, um, where it's some of it's institutional, so some of it's uh, bigger groups like uh, Catholic Community Services in southern Arizona and, and um, IRC up in Phoenix. Yes. But a lot of it is grassroots volunteers um, who say, well, I think that I can commit a little bit, a bit of my time or a little bit of resources uh, to welcome people. And so I've, I've, uh, I think this is fresh on my mind because I've had the experience a couple of times already this week of picking up the phone when we had an emergency situation, which I can't go into a lot of details about those situations here, but sure. an emergency situation of, of someone in, you know, in, in immediate danger or distress. Uh, and and there's always, I've always pick up the phone and expecting a no and, and re- have received a yes. Um, wow. That, you know, yes, this person can, this this asylum seeker can, um, Who's been in danger? We can we can welcome them, and we'll find a way to to bring them to safety. Um, you know, through there's those official government channels of when they get processed by the migration and then are released with parole documents in the U.S. But the government channels take about a few hours. It's really the community response that takes the the resources, and that's where I'm seeing people stepping up.
0: Mm. I remember I think it was a couple of years ago when a lot of churches here in Phoenix gathered together and you know people in droves are being dropped off by the government in, in on bus stations here and i was so impressed by how people stepped up to open up their churches and homes is something like that happening you you mentioned uh, one person but is that is that still is that happening
1: so it's still more limited than what we'd like to see so yeah. there's um I hear on the Arizona side from all these communities that were involved. I think it was 2018 was was really when, especially the Phoenix community mobilized. I hear from people there saying we want to be able to welcome folks. <laughs> and, right. and as I said, there's some exceptions now, so there's some individuals, some asylum-seeking families and kids, and particularly vulnerable situations that are being released into the U.S. Yes. Uh, but but what I find most frustrating. <laughs> the folks who are ready to welcome on the arizona side is that the vast majority of people are still stranded on the mexican side yeah um, Or whether that's the the woman that i just mentioned who who fled domestic violence right uh whether that's a, a dad with his two-year-old uh here who are from guatemala there's i see every day the people who we do have the capacity to welcome but who are still being forced to wait in this limbo in mexico mm. Um, and, and and frankly, who are who are afraid of the for their lives here in Mexico too? Sure, um, they're so outsiders in there too. Yeah, to <laughs> exactly. Organized crime here knows knows who they are and, right. and knows that they can exploit them.
0: Wow. So what? Besides, I mean, you mentioned some organizational help and even governmental help, but what are, what are churches in Nogales uh, doing to help? And do the and what would it help? How could we come? Be, you know, anything we can do.
1: In, in Nogales, Mexico? Yeah, Nogales, Nogales, Mexico. Okay, great. Yeah, so we've had um, you know, churches and, and people in faith communities who come here as volunteers who donate money and supplies. I mean, that's what helps us to function as an organization is that we, we have enough food. to So yeah, we ran out of rice today, but we had some, some backup food to, right. to give to the rest of the 300 people uh, and, and financial donations for staff. Um, I think what's, What's even more important, and that's, especially as an executive director, it's my organizational sustainability is important. But what's even more important is that the people in uh, Arizona take the time to listen to folks who are in Nogales. Yeah. Um, and we, at the Kino Border Initiative, we really try to put on our social media at least once a week, if not more a story of someone who's come through here. Um, mm-hmm. So read those stories. And, and I would even encourage people to pray with those stories uh, especially in this time of the heat of the desert, when so many people are dying right, right now in the desert, um, we need to hold the space of, of prayer right. and holiness and, and pray also for empathy that we can see people, not as all oh, those folks in Mexico who are suffering, but really, oh, this is especially I'm, I'm a mom. And, and so I look at the moms here and say, wow, this is a mom just like me. Right. And, right. And I have my, my struggles and, and her struggles are exacerbated because of her situation. Um, so, so listening to people's stories, getting to know uh, people in Arizona as well uh, who have been on a journey of migration um, and, and building that kind of, go, even going out of your way. I, I remember one person, Let's... we also received folks who are deported having lived in the U.S. Um, I remember a woman who lived for um, 10 years in Phoenix, I think, and she was deported here. And she said there was only, I think she worked at a, a food establishment, maybe a fast food He said, there was only one person in my 10 years who really stopped and started talking to me and introduced themselves. Um, It was the only person that wasn't Mexican that I met.
0: That's amazing. In 10 years, Joanna, this has been a great conversation. So uh, do a search for Kino Border Initiative. Is that how they can find you? Correct. Oh, well, thank you. This has been a great conversation. If you're ever in Phoenix, I'll, we'll we'll grab coffee. I love what the work you're doing. God bless you and your ministry. Thank you so much.
1: Thanks. It's been a pleasure to be on.
0: Thank you for listening today. Counterculture is made possible by Care Portal, helping local churches help children and families in crisis. Sign up you and your church today at careportal.org.
2: This program was sponsored by Care Portal.